found The Farcast, the weekly podcast in its sixth season of helping you understand what's going on in Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. It is the 17th day of August, 17th day of August, 2023. We are halfway through the third quarter of 2023. Hey, June, July, where'd you go? What happened to you? Wow, summer's coming to an end. Kids are going back to school. I don't know how it happens faster and faster every year, but it happens. And waiting for this big market correction, everything to go to hell. Hasn't, has it? No, sorry, hasn't happened. And in fact, things continue to expand. We're hearing from the Atlanta Fed that they're going to have some very hot numbers, maybe GDP growth over 5%. Really? I mean, they haven't been great about that number, ladies and gentlemen, at the Atlanta Fed. It's been pretty volatile. Their guesses haven't been all that good. But directionally, it's a big number. And that big number is a big problem for the Fed because the Fed's sitting here torn with a continued expansion. They're continuing to see good economic data with inflation coming down. Whoa, are we done yet? Is this it? Can we go home now, pack up our lunch boxes, put our stuff in our backpack and head back home? Mm, they don't think so. If you read their minutes, they're still thinking about more hikes. A lot of people think they're going to have more hikes. We're going to wait and see. What we know is the consumer is under a lot of pressure. Credit card balances over $1 trillion dollars over one trillion dollars 61 percent of americans claim to be living paycheck to paycheck paycheck to paycheck no savings no emergency funds retirement savings most americans don't have ten thousand dollars in retirement savings vast majority don't have ten thousand dollars social security the bedrock of retirement for most of americans so we have a precarious and fragile consumer. We have an economy that's dependent on the consumer. We have a Fed that's trying to fight inflation and generally an economy that's doing okay. Stocks have been pulling back, but my big theme here, folks, is stocks are due for a pullback. Don't read too much into it other than the normal big picture trading. They've run up like hell and they're due to pull back. That's what stocks do. It's a bit of a repricing, a washing out. And don't forget September. September is the cruelest month of all if you're a stock investor. This one will probably prove to be consistent with a bit of a pullback here. That's not the end of days. What do you do as an investor? What do you do with the uh, fabulous, magnificent seven stocks that have been driving 85% of returns? What do you do? I'll tell you what we do as we try to understand Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We first turn to Kenny Polcari, then we're going to talk to Mahaffey, and then we're going to talk to Stephanie Link. And I hope in the next 35 minutes, we're going to make more sense of all of those things for you and give you some new ideas and things to think about. Kenny Polcari is the CEO of Case Capital Advisors Forever, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange, and now the leading contributor on Fox Business News. Welcome back, Kenny. <laughs> Michael, it's always... <laughs> to be back. I love what are you laughing at? What are you I just, laughing at? I, I love you. I just love you. I love your introductions. I love everything about you. So it's always a pleasure to be on with you. We love having you on because we always learn so much. So Kenny, you, you heard my uh, diatribe here today, my 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 soliloquy. Yeah. 
yeah. what do you think? If I got it right, I, am I wrong? Off base, on not base? No, no, no. You're not at all. And you and I have been talking about this. The fact that anyone is surprised at all about, A, what happened with the Fed, you know, the Fed minutes yesterday, how they suggested more hawkishness and more rate hikes. And the fact that people are talking about, oh, they're pausing, they're going to cut pretty soon. I'm sitting there scratching my head going, what data points are you guys looking at versus what the rest of us are looking at? And the, I think the last time we talked, we talked about coming into this seasonally kind of weak time of year, August, September, which should not surprise anybody. Um, so I'm not, so I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're spot on. Um, and I actually still expect the market's going to back off. And look, the, the S&P is down 4% off the highs three weeks ago. That is nothing to light your hair on fire about. NASDAQ's off 6.5%. Okay, that's still, though, within the normal band of trading. So no reason to panic yet. You can panic if, you know, we bust 10% or 12%, and then you think we're going to have a swift move lower. That might be more of an issue. But right now, this is all very normal, but I'm not surprised by any of it. Whoop-de-doo, whoop-de-doo. We're off 4% right. from the highs. Right. Exactly. And by the way, you're still near all-time highs. You're exactly. not near all-time lows. So right. what's that rule about buying low or selling high? I'd always get confused on it. Look, there's a lot of stuff in the S&P right now is very high. And this is the confusing part about the S&P or the 500 stocks that everybody wants to talk about. Seven of them are really, really high as hell. Right. 490 of them aren't 490 of them are up around three or 4% for the year. Uh, right. A lot of them are seeing earnings expand. Some of them are not. Some of them are seeing earnings contraction. So you have to look at fundamentals. You have to make a decision by decision, stock by stock, very disciplined approach to investing in this kind of environment. But you know, if you're going to buy uh, uh, Microsoft, if you're going to buy the S and P, you're going to own over 20% in Microsoft and Google. Right. I mean, that's incredible. Two stocks over 20% of the S&P 500. Wow. Right. But you uh, have to look at, you have to start looking, and we've seen it start to happen at these underperformers, right? Things like, you know, healthcare, which is basically flat on the year. Um, Energy is flat on the year. Financials are flat on the year. There are some great opportunities in there. You shouldn't be chasing the communication stocks up nearly 38% or tech stock up 34% or uh, what else? Housing stock up 36%. Why would you be chasing those at the moment? Absolutely not. There are other places where there's great opportunity. To your point, seven names have really carried this whole thing. 490 names are, are, are actually very interesting to look at. So you know why you have to chase those stocks? You chase those stocks, ladies and gentlemen, because you have a brother-in-law, right? You have a brother-in-law who has been chirping in your ear. I own this. I own that. I've made a lot of money in this. You don't own it. You're stupid. You don't need to own this. And you need. They're already up. Listen to what Polkari just said. The damn things are up. They've run like hell. Could they run more? Sure, they could run more. Are you re you really want to buy? You really want to buy? You know the 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 racehorse uh, that, that crosses the finish line just because he's moving faster than the other ones. He finished. He's crossed the finish line. He's going to slow down. They do that. Why don't you pick the one that's coming up from out of the pack from the back? That that guy's going to be your next horse. That's um, right. Okay. And listen, but you know, but to your point, if you. If you own those names, that's great because you're participating in the growth, which doesn't mean you take new money and keep buying those names that are way overvalued. To your point and to what I'm saying is you have to look at some of these names that are now underperforming that will play catch up. And look, it was interesting yesterday. You would think in a rising rate environment that utilities would continue to come under pressure. Actually, utilities was the only sector up yesterday. 
everything else was down. Why? Utilities are down nearly 11% year to date. There are some very good names in the utility space that are under pressure for no reason than rates are rising. But if rates kind of stable out here, even if they go up a little bit more, if they stable out, there's going to be value opportunity in some of those utility names. And yesterday, I think it was a perfect example. You saw some money move into some of those names that have gotten overly beaten up in, in the utility space. I'm always worried about utilities in a rising rate environment. I'm not going to jump on that with Kenny today. Uh, I'm going to raise that flag. I think there's some reason for caution there. I understand what he's saying as a professional. When I hear him say that as a professional, it tells me there are probably two or three utilities out there that are being unjustly hammered and that I should go study those. Utilities in general, ladies and gentlemen, in a rising rate environment are highly levered. And the reason right. that they're highlighting, what I mean that is they have a lot of debt and they've been allowed to take on a lot of debt because their revenue stream is so predictable. One, the most, most predictable is the water and sewer. You might not pay your electric bill, but you're going to make sure you can flush that John, folks. That bill gets paid every time. So, uh, by the way, I think the cable but, bill gets paid before the, you know, anything else, too. You, you can yeah, count but, you that. know, the other the other thing about utilities that just make the point is that they're also good divvy payers. They pay somewhere between three and three and a half percent, which are good. When rates were zero, everyone loved utilities. Another reason as rates rise, you can get a better, you you know, you can you can find better opportunity maybe in the treasury market. But I think that, you know, you're going to look at some of these sectors that are getting unnecessarily beaten up. You know, Fidelity's money market, Kenny's paying 5% Five, now, and some of yep. their institutionals are paying a lot more than that. Yep. Two-year treasury, 495. Uh, Six-month treasury, 551. Yep. And, Kenny, big deal yep. today, the 10-year treasury, over 4.3%. It's yep. uh, uh, So it's yeah. providing op options big, for people. A lot, lot of options. I don't feel like these rates are going down anytime soon. I saw that report out of Goldman Sachs. I couldn't believe it. They say they're going to start cutting rates in the second quarter of 2024. I thought it was ridiculous. What a silly thing to say. Now, maybe it's just as silly that I think it's silly. I mean, you know, that I'm going to sit here and judge economic policy. But, oh, my God, for you to come out and say that we're going to see a change in, in, in rates in six months when you've got things expanding, expanding today but they haven't even said cut rates they haven't even stopped raising them yet as of yesterday's notes i think we're getting two more rate hikes so if we get two more rate hikes that takes us till november then they're going to start cutting rates in april that i'm in your camp that makes zero sense my kids had a children's book i used to read them and the line was the rain starts stopping when the dot drops uh stop dropping when it stops dropping, when they stop cutting rates, I mean, when stop raising rates, then maybe we can talk about it. But right. higher for longer. Listen, Wells Fargo has a fascinating piece out. My friend Jay Bryson has written a three-piece series on artificial intelligence. Kenny, it is fabulous. You need to get it. I'll send it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, go to Wells Fargo's website, Dr. Jay Bryson. Read this three-piece segment on artificial intelligence. And here's the really important point that he makes. This is transformative in terms of productivity. GDP growth is measured by a growth in the number of your employees and a growth in productivity. Productivity has been stalled for over a decade. We have been 2% or sub 2% on productivity. This is important for economic growth. He says, and I agree, this technology is transformative. This is industrial revolution transformative. He also says there's a lag effect as you adopt new as you adapt and adopt adapt to and adopt new technology. So it could be a little while here. I mean, we had cell phones 
uh, in the 90s, not everybody used them. Um, hell, we had electricity and a lot of people continued to cling to their kerosene lamps. They didn't want that stuff in their houses. Sooner or later, they start using it. It adds to productivity. And therefore, says Bryson, interest rates could stay higher for longer, could stay right. higher for longer as a result of this surge in productivity that will be with us for many years. And it will lift the living life quality, lifestyle quality for all Americans, including lifting every time we see an economic advance, uh, the plight and flight of the poor in this country. And all those people, 61% living paycheck to paycheck. So AI, folks, you can be fearful of it, but basically this is gonna, this could be a really great thing. And I think it's gonna still transform the world in ways nothing else has. So when you figure all of that out and start to think about it, if you're, if you're Jay Powell, Kenny, if you're Jay Powell, what are you going to tell your other Fed governors at this next meeting? Okay, this is important. You're Jay Powell. You're chairman of the Fed, Kenny. What are you going to tell them? I, I, think, I think it was clear in yesterday's minutes. I think they're going to stay higher for longer. I think Jay Powell, they stayed way too stimulative for way too long. And so now he's got to press it on the other end. I don't see rate cuts at all in the short term at all. And I see Jay Powell saying, I think they're taking rates to 6%. So that's up another 50 basis points, whether they do it one move or two moves. And then I think they stay there. And I think that's the message that Jay Powell wants to get out. And then he wants to hold it there uh, until he's sufficiently, absolutely convinced that they've killed the inflation monster. So that's would, what I think he's going to say. Would you be surprised if stocks pulled back 5 or 6% from here nope. between now and say, the end of September? No, and I've already all. said, you know, you and I've been I've already said it. I fully expect, I expect the S&P is going to be, and I said this in my note a couple of days ago, I would suspect to see the S&P pull back between 7 and 9%. I think the NASDAQ is going to test 10%. I do think that it's going to test it. I don't think it's going to pierce it, but I do think we're going to see the NASDAQ kind of back off the most. Maybe the Russell's going to back off the same thing, 7 to 9%. But I wouldn't be surprised at all. And by the way, that's still within what's considered normal, right? Yeah, and so October, November, December typically surge back months coming into an end of a year so we right. could be back at these levels by the end of the year you describing a buying opportunity that, right that's where i think it is but listen when i describe a buying opportunity like you I, i'm i'm focused i'm a long-term advisor wealth manager i'm not short-term day trading i'm not doing any of that stuff so i'm always talking about eliminating the noise and picking your spots and creating your plan and then executing and sticking to that plan because that's what's going to win you couldn't say it any better. What a perfect place to end for today. Kenny Polcari is CEO of Case Capital Advisors, my very dear friend. It's wonderful to see you, Kenny. Please come back soon, will you? Always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mahaffey up next. What's going on in Washington? What are these people trying to do? And really, we're going to do Trump-Biden again when we come back on the Farcast. How tall are you? Six three. Six three. He's always taller than you think. Yeah. Well, I'm taller when you know, but I got a haircut yesterday, so I <laughs> with the hair I'm six one. Without the hair, mm -hmm. I'm six and a half. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress, the Washington Think Tank, and his most important title, of course, 
the senior political analyst on the Farcast, coming to the end of season six. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? And by the way, thanks for your many nights notes uh, for my rant Farcast last week. Uh, I appreciate it. Some of them were very, very sweet, very kind, uh, heartfelt uh, for my little quick Farcast last week while I was away in Montana. I appreciate those very much. They really, they mean a lot to me. Uh, Dan Mahaffey means a lot to me as well. Dan, lots going on um, in in uh, with a Washington that's quiet and a Congress that's out and a President Biden that's a few blocks away sitting on the beach here with me. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah. So President Biden kind of, I, I, I was shocked when I uh, saw reporters say, can you tell us about the fires in Hawaii? And he said, no comment. I mean, is it really that hard to say our hearts and prayers, uh, you know, go to the people of Hawaii who are suffering in this fire? I mean, I, I, yeah, look, look no foot, foot, yeah, foot and mouth moment. Uh, I will say, look, you don't want a, an unforced error politically. If you say to anyone, look, did he hear the question? You can do all sorts of excuses. It just does not look good. Uh, I understand from folks that the president does want to get out to Hawaii, but it is just a nightmare of a logistics situation. And there is always that balance between being there and showing your leadership as president and also not wanting to further interfere uh, with the efforts. Yeah. Um, you know, look, the we all remember that George. Works. That never works, Dan, as an argument. I mean, George Bush proved it. He didn't want look, George he, W. Had, Bush at the pile on 9-11 remains the epitome of calling BS on that and going to be there and showing leadership. Uh, but he I messed just, it up. But he messed it up with Katrina, where he didn't go because FEMA was there and they were trying to get help to those people. And he knew FEMA that was there. Yeah, and you famously, right. And you famously have him looking out the window of the plane flying over as opposed to, to being there. Um, but the ultimate question, too, is like with with Donald Trump, you had him throwing paper towels at Puerto Ricans. No, no president has really done this well since Bush on 9-11. Um, and so you have the uh, this this the optics of the presidency during disaster are, are never great um, and hard to uh, handle in the best of times. So, look, it's, it's an unforced error to have this no comment. Um, I'm certainly he would rather be, you know, focused on coordinating the relief efforts. But no, it doesn't it doesn't look good. And I think it's also just a, a reminder. I, I saw a T-shirt the other day. I just have to share this with the listeners. It said any anybody under 80, 2024. I love it. I love it. Anybody under 80. Yeah, uh, that's that's good. I've got uh, Harry Jennings uh, trying to do a spiral with a roll of paper towels in the background here, ladies and gentlemen, too. So perhaps Harry would be a candidate for president. Dan. Hell, I'll vote for him. Why not? Hey, uh, so, Dan, uh, uh, we've got these presidential optics that continue to look mm -hmm. bad. Uh, we're talking to Kenny Polcari. He thinks that neither Biden nor Trump uh, will be uh, actually on the ticket in 2024. It's hard for me to agree with with that when it comes to President Trump, just because he doesn't ever, ever, no matter what the facts happen to be, he's never cowed, uh, never goes mm -hmm. away. But uh, do you think there's a chance of that? Do you think there's a chance at the convention or something that the Democrats do something out of line and you get a Gavin Newsom? You could do something. I think, though, you would have to see something far worse with President Biden's uh, health. I think Newsom and others are positioning themselves to be alternatives or 
to position themselves, frankly, for, for 2028. Uh, that said, though, I don't see a clear alternative. I don't see momentum. We we easily forget that in uh, 2020, the reason Joe Biden was successful is he because he was the only person who could bridge together all the various wings of the Democratic Party as they currently exist right now. So that's the I don't see an alternative to Biden yet for that. Um, nor is there any really elegant solution to uh, Kamala Harris, even though you see the, the L.A. Times floating that she should uh, replace Dianne Feinstein as the senator from California again. OK, I'm looking at these lawsuits uh, against former President Trump. I'm also looking at the charges against Hunter Biden. And it occurs to me that I haven't talked to a single Republican who cares much about the charges against Trump nor have I talked to a Democrat who much cares about the charges against Hunter, Hunter Biden. So it's Democrats who care about the charges against Trump. It's the Republicans who care about the charges against Hunter Biden. I'm sure that's way overly simplistic, ladies and gentlemen. It is, it is overly I mean. don't simplistic. Get, don't yeah. get mad at me. You know what I mean. Right. And it's it's the can you hold two thoughts in your head at the same time, American people, and be disappointed with the behavior of both people? And that's the that's that's where the yeah and the, you can be um, the the thing is that Hunter Biden would have probably torpedoed any traditional presidency except for the absence of the Trump scandals, and I'm not saying that to validate those who say that the Trump charges are there to distract from the Hunter Biden case. It's simply that we've arrived at a point in history where we have. Two egregious cases of conduct. One, the uh, president's son, Hunter Biden, and his business dealings and his uh, addiction and his own personal issues that you hope he's getting treatment for. And then you have the uh, former president himself trying to subvert the results of the election. So but for the uh, magnitude of what Trump is dealing with, the the Biden scandal would be enough to disrupt the Biden reelection. Um, but that's not going to be the case because you have the the Trump scandals. And I think that is the, you know, the, the big question mark, too, is, you know, are they done with Georgia or do we see now from uh, rumors, too, that Arizona may be the next state to have charges that they can throw at, at the president, a former president as well? Well, we'll 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 watch all of this. Uh, and it's just such great circus, you know, I mean, it's just it's wonderful spectating um, Jerry Springer kind of a television drama, but um, it's hard to see that it's actually going anywhere and unless somehow they put President Trump in a pair of handcuffs, and I'm not sure that wouldn't advance his cause among his best. Yeah, I, th I think true, really the only ones who benefit from all these cases, I think, are the lawyers and the media. Um, well, uh, both never fail to do well most of the time, lawyers and media. Uh, moving on, uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia, Russia now, uh, there's some deal leak that they're trying to buy 6,000 drones from Iran, and Iran seems to be ready to produce these drones. Uh, Russia's economy, Dan, is uh, faltering. China's economy, Dan, is faltering. Big time in China. FAR has been saying for two or three years, Xi Jinping needs to sit, listen to Sister Irene Kraus. No margin, no mission. You don't have an economy. You can forget your great Chinese ideal. You think you're going to go out and shut down Hong Kong. There's your economic engine, Mr. Xi Jinping. And 
you get rid of it, and all of a sudden you've got huge unemployment among your youth, ages 18 to 25, huge unemployment across China, falling GDP. And now you want to go after Taiwan? Oh, that's a great idea, Mr. President. Great idea. Why don't you shoot yourself in the other foot while you can't walk on the on the one you've got? I mean, this is just moronic to me. And we're starting to see the Russian economy falter. You know, Ronald Reagan basically spent Russia into submission. The same thing could be happening again. What do you think, Dan? I don't think we're in the same financial position of our own to be spending anyone into oblivion right now. But you do see the weakness of their economies. Look, I think the the sanctions are starting to bite on the Russians and uh, that it reveals truly that they were not much of an economy besides arms production and oil before the war even started. Uh, Besides that, you look at the Chinese example. I look at two statistics. One, uh, the exports being down. That's a major uh, issue for the Chinese when they see exports going down. Uh, imports are down as well, which means the precursor goods that are the goods for exports, those are those are gone. So those are two uh, statistics that are worrying for the Chinese economy. And then the third one is a statistic we don't even have because they're delaying the youth unemployment numbers, uh, which tell me that they are pretty, pretty bad. Um, so that, that all told tells you a picture of these command economies that are struggling, the Russian one under sanctions in wartime. And the Chinese one under the shift under Xi Jinping, away from entrepreneurialism, away from all the uh, economic engines that had previously driven the the Chinese economy. We've, so we've talked about this in all these episodes, and we're finally seeing it come come to fruition in some ways. These policies that go back to look these Putin's inner circle, other than the reformists who still run the central bank, in Putin's inner circle, their dream economic years were the Brezhnev years. Uh, for for Xi Jinping, the the real uh, you know the real nightmare for him was that these Chinese woke up not singing songs about Mao and the party, but were thinking about working for Goldman Sachs or a tech company. You know that's the 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 nightmare for them was that their economies were moving away from the uh, the vision they had of of the good old days and. You know, I guess what their their nightmare's over and their dreams are coming true, but it's a nightmare for their people. It certainly is. And if you don't have a successful economy uh, that's lifting up everybody in your economy, including the poor, the poor will stay poor relatively, certainly, but they're living better lives as the economy prospers. Okay, it's a better quality of life. And uh, we see that here in this country. And we're not solving the problem at all. And we still have people who are suffering greatly in serious poverty. And it is tragic. And we continue to need to address it every way we can. OK, uh, this is not the calloused capitalist talking here. I'm telling you that my heart breaks for a lot of folks. And I try to help as many as I can. But overall, a better economy is better for everybody everybody. So don't be against this economic growth, folks. If you want to see what it looks like without economic growth, take a look at Russia and take a look at China. Take a look at some of these third world countries that don't know what they can produce and sell uh, to lift up their people. They sure as hell would like to be here. And there's still plenty trying to come. I think we ought to have more of them here and help our economy too. Immigration will help. I said something earlier, uh, uh, Dan, to Kenny, and we've got to go, we're out of time already, can't believe it. But uh, I, I said that AI is going to add to productivity. 
and that this is going to be really important longer term because this is going to grow GDP. This is going to continue to lift our economy. Yes, there will be certain jobs that are displaced, but overall, productivity goes up. That's good for the economy. That's good for everybody here. So uh, finally, Dan, I just want to come back to you for uh, Russia and China. How much trouble are they in? And I feel like the pressure just continues to increase on Vladimir Putin. Well, look, yeah, Putin and Russia, I think if you talk about the economy and you talk about AI and technology, Russia is falling behind on that. You know, they're a large, uh, significant nuclear power, but they are not a technological power. China, on the other hand, when you think about AI and its impact, you, you see it as specifically one of the technologies that the Biden administration highlighted in this ban on outbound investment into China. Um, it's going to be harder for China to close that technology gap. But I do caution, I don't share the sentiment that any kind of technological stop is going to halt China. You're not going to be able to hold them back. We're just going to have to run faster in these technologies. Uh, so their economy, look, it's not uh, the greatest picture for China, but don't count them out and don't underestimate their technological ability, particularly when it comes to these things like AI that are going to be so important in the next few years. The Cold War with China, the great arms war with China that Russia, uh, that, that Reagan fought with Russia years ago is going to be fought with technology, is being fought behind the scenes with technology and technological advancements right now with China. And it's who can crack whose code first uh, with supercomputing and everything else. We have to be vigilant, 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 because China's made their intentions very clear. The United States is not there saying we want to take over the world. We don't want to take over China. We don't want to take over these other countries. We want them to do well on their own. China's not saying that. China does want to rule the world. That's a problem. Uh, they're not going to rule us. Dan Mahaffey is the Director of Policy at the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Dan, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Good to talk to you. We're going to be right back with my colleague and great friend, Stephanie Link, the uh, Chief Investment uh, Strategist at Hightower Advisors. I, of course, am the Chief Market Strategist for Hightower Advisors. We're going to get into it. What do we see going on? What do we think about Polkari? And what do we think about AI when we come back? On the Farcast, please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the podcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. So glad you've joined us again this week. 
Uh, so, Kenny Polcari thinks maybe a little bit of a pullback here, but not the end of the world, and probably could finish flat on the end of the year. All of that kind of makes sense and resonates. Dan Mahaffey, still concerned about global growth, what's going on geopolitically, uh, Washington intrigue, and he didn't say no to the Polcari idea that neither Trump nor Biden might be on the ultimate ticket. He didn't say no. He didn't say no. There's the Polcari idea. So we watch all of the intrigue. And when we really want to understand how the world of investments work, we go to my great friend and colleague, Stephanie Link, chief investment. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, strategist? What? What is it, Stephanie? Chief investment strategist. Yes. Yes. Chief investment strategist for Hightower Advisors. Uh, and one of the smartest people you're ever going to hear on Wall Street. Welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Markets are near still 4% off of all-time highs. Everybody's waiting for a pullback that doesn't seem to want to come. The Fed seems to be uh, crossing uh, you know, out on the thorny branches of do we or don't we, and they, <laughs> they, they're leaning towards more tightening, but they've got an economy that's expanding, and they've got inflation coming down. I thought that's what they wanted. What do you make of the world where we are and uh, what people should be doing with their money when you've got so many concentrated stocks that are driving the S&P returns? Yeah, it's been an interesting year. Um, I, I, I had to take a double take yesterday when the Atlanta Fed GDP Now forecast came out for the current quarter at 5.8% growth in the current quarter. Almost fell out of my chair. Right? A double yeah. take. That's what, I mean, it's really incredible. Uh, well, this wasn't supposed to happen, Michael, as you very well know. In the beginning of the year, it was the first quarter was going to be the, 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 the high point for growth, and we were going right. to sell throughout the year. And, in, and instead, we went from 2% growth in the first quarter to 2.4% growth in the second quarter. And I don't know if the third quarter is going to be 5 5 or 6%. I suspect that number comes down, but it's going to be better than probably the 2% that we had been seeing. So we're actually seeing an acceleration in the economy versus the decel. And I think a lot of that is because the consumer has stayed resilient, right? I mean, that's 70% yep. of our economy and yep. they continue to have jobs, to have wage growth, they're they're buying things in services. Interesting uh, comment from Walmart this morning that their general merchandise actually ticked up yes. each month of the quarter. So that was sort of interesting to me because it's been a goods to services theme, but the services are still alive and well. Housing has really perked up. Auto sales are up 16%. So consumer is good. They're fine. And uh, that's important. Manufacturing has been mixed. I'm of the camp that we are seeing in some of these series that we get, these surveys like the PMIs and the ISM, not to get too wonky, but I think we're, we're seeing a bottoming in, the, in those numbers. And a lot of the companies that have exposure to two themes, onshoring and aviation, they have massive tailwinds. And I think that's what's driving manufacturing. I think it's going to improve. And so I think that we're in, a, in pretty good shape on the economy. And why do I pay attention? Because obviously that's going to impact earnings. Earnings are less bad um, that we just got uh, done with the, 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 the quarter quarters. And uh, I think you're seeing a trough in earnings as a result, because the economy does have momentum. And, and to the point of seven stocks leading the charge year to date, 
Yes, they have. But in the last couple of weeks, I'm sure you've noticed this too, we have seen a bit of a broadening out in the market. And that I think is very healthy. And I think the reason is because the earnings have been better, but also these are the cheaper parts of the markets. And I'm talking energy, materials, discretionary, even some of the financials. Uh, they've given a little bit back in the last couple of days, but last month the, the sector was up 9%. So um, I, I, I like the broadening out. I feel a little bit better about it. Does that mean that we go materially higher from here? I, I just don't know because August and September are really notorious for being very volatile and seasonally weak. So I think maybe we just buy our time for a little bit and, uh, and then we set ourselves up for the, the home stretch into the end of the year. I think the theme, my theme for this year, the title that I would give this year is everything is less bad uh, than yeah. we, uh, you know, everything is less bad than we, than we thought the, the, the economy, the earnings, the, the everything. And, and nobody feels good about it either, Stephanie. That's the, that's the kind of, uh, uh, you know, conundrum that I've, I've got the head scratcher. Uh, nobody, nobody, you ask people about the economy and they go, oh God, it's awful. No, it's not. There's nothing. It's not. Inflation's coming down. The economy continues to expand. Unemployment's at a low time, all time low. Capacity utilization's picked up. I mean, uh, things aren't bad, but but people feel bad. What do you? Why do you think the consumers got this feel bad going on? They'll tell you they feel bad, and yet when you look at the numbers they're spending, different report out of Target, of course they. They thought that the consumer was drilling down towards the cheaper end of goods, and maybe that's why they were driven to Walmart. Is consumer behavior changing, and what is it about this negative attitude? I think that consumers have felt the heat from higher inflation, even though inflation has come down. I think that there are a lot of pressures all over the place on that front. So if you look at real incomes, even though wages are up, real incomes are maybe up slightly, but... Uh, I think they're still feeling a little bit of, of, of that. But that being said, they're still spending, right? Yeah. And so so there's that, that's one point. The second point I would say is everyone has been drilling it into uh, people's heads that we are in, we're headed into a recession or we might already be in a recession, which I think is the most ridiculous thing in the world, uh, especially when you look at claims, the weekly initial job claims. We, we are at 240,000 on a four-week moving basis in weekly initial claims. The recessionary levels are more like 350 to 375,000. We're at 240,000. We're nowhere near recession, but I think people think that we are going into a recession. They think the good, this good time, these good times can't last. And I think the Fed is kind of making people a little nervous because we don't know all these Fed hikes, what that means, because it has a lag effect. But we've been able to take it in stride. And we, you and I listen to companies all day long. And I got to tell you, no one is telling us that things are dire by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think that's, I think that's right. And I think uh, you've been right about this. And I've been wrong about this. I've, con I've thought, looking at the data, that we would be in recession by now. Mm -hmm. I've been surprised that we're not. I really am just looking at all of the historical data and the consumer has stayed strong. And so, you know, I'm on this, I'm, I'm, I'm in this very uncomfortable position. Well, one of saying I'm wrong, which I hate saying, by the <laughs> way, I hate saying I'm, I'm wrong. You know, it was a great, it was a great happy days 
years ago. If you if you're if you're old enough to remember Happy Days with Richie Cunningham and the yeah. Fonz, and yeah. and they wanted the Fonz to say something, he needed to apologize and say he was wrong, and it was a it was a great shtick, you know. And he went, said, "I'm I'm sorry, I was rrrr, I, I was rrrr." <laughs> I was rural and he just said, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't say the word. Uh, I, I, I can say the word. I have been wrong. So now I'm in the position of saying, uh, like so many, I'm still not wrong yet, but I'm even getting tired of saying that. I got to tell you, I'm ready to throw in the towel and say, all right, look, this damned economy is not going to go down. I'm not quite there yet, Stephanie. I'm still not quite there, believe it or not. The consumer has remained robust far longer than I thought they would. I'm sitting here saying, well, we've got still now we've got credit card balances over a trillion dollars. Um, th there are some pressures out there with consumers still running out of wallet. Jay Bryson from Wells Fargo, chief economist at, at Wells Fargo, said we have never had a recession where we haven't seen uh, unemployment increase by a half a half a full half a percent. Mm -hmm. That hasn't happened. So we've never had one. There's the data point that I would watch for. And maybe if I'm wrong, it means to me that the Fed will have indeed engineered a soft landing, which to me, from my experience, by the way, is damn near unthinkable. It's unthinkable that the Fed could actually engineer. And maybe they have, and maybe they'll get it right. But I'm going to hold my tickets and continue to be a little bit cautious. Of course, I'm fully invested. And of course, I'm always actively managing a portfolio and I'll reduce big exposures and risk and I'll redeploy money where I find opportunity. I mean, that's what we do, Stephanie. You're still doing that every day. Tell me, tell me how you're looking at the market and looking at these companies that have done so well. And feel free to weigh in on how I've been wrong because you have been right. I think that what was underappreciated was the $3 trillion in fiscal policies, infrastructure, Inflation Reduction Act that got passed. And that's leading to underlying momentum in the economy. And that's offsetting a lot of what the Fed has been doing. There's um, no question. And I think, I really do think that this onshoring, reshoring theme, I think it lasts at a minimum of 10 years. I think it is so powerful. We have so much work to do. The only question I have, has, have is, do, does the money get into the right hands, into the right companies, right? Because we know the government and them trying to you know, do the, the, the whole trickle down thing is kind of challenging. But I think that um, it's really a powerful um, situation. And, and, and that's even surprised me. When you look at some of these, and I listen to some of these um, and read some of these regional manufacturing surveys, like yes. the Philly Fed manufacturing just came out and it was a positive 10 versus negative nine. And it's, it's been negative for the last 11 quarters. And what they're saying actually is there are, there is, there, there's building momentum. And I guess it is because all this money is starting to funnel through and, uh, and that's really very powerful. So I think that's a really big thing. And I also think that you can never bet against the consumer, not with the job market as strong as it is, but the consumer, even if the job market wasn't as strong, everybody always wants to say the consumer's dead, it's gonna die, this and that. We are a nation of spenders. Whether we have the cash or we're gonna rack up the debt, we are a nation of spenders. And I just think it's always wrong to bet against them. And that's why I think we also have done 
better than expected from, from an economic point of view. And so I want to have exposure to consumer discretionary. I want to have exposure to industrials. I want to have exposure to aviation. That's really important. Um, they're in the sweet spot right now. Um, and I want to, you know, I want to pepper that with some technology, but I am very aware that those stocks are not cheap. And if rates stay longer, higher for longer, longer duration assets might lag. Yeah, not, 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 not cheap. Um, uh, you know, the, I've been talking this morning too about a report out of Wells Fargo, again, Dr. Jay Bryson's group on AI. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. It's a three-part series, but he suggests, uh, and I think it's fascinating, it's a point I hadn't seen, that AI uh, will take a little while to be ad adopted more broadly as new technologies and transformative technologies have been throughout history from the Industrial Revolution on. But once it happens, it adds to productivity. And mm. this could add significantly to productivity. It could add significantly to GDP growth in future years, create a powerful expansion, okay, and that could is also an argument for keeping rates higher longer in a more robust growing economy that's not as labor dependent, that's going to see these productivity enhancements, which are lower cost enhancements over time. You get a multiplier effect there. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I hadn't seen anybody really couch it that way. But I think it's a great long term bullish argument that's going to be transformative and could take the investment world higher than maybe we thought uh, historically. I, I, well, I think it's, it's just wonderful. It's funny that you mentioned that because one of the big takeaways that I um, came up with last week was unit labor costs fell yes. and productivity rose. Yes. And that is one of the, and that feeds right into GDP, right to your point, right? And then earlier this week, we had retail sales, the control group, which is just, you know, you know, they just, it just removes a lot of the vol volatile aspects, but the control group was up better than expected, up a percent. Yep. And that feeds right into GDP. So these are the things that we have to continue to watch. And I think it's uh, it's, it's a reason why we have the Atlanta Fed at GDP now at 5.8%. At yeah. Uh, everything is less bad. There's the theme. Everything <laughs> is always better, however, with Stephanie Link, Aww. the chief investment strategist for Hightower Advisors, my great buddy for a long time. Thank you so much for being with us on the Farcast. Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another Farcast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We hope you've learned a little bit something this week. Please share us on social media. We'll be back again next week bringing you experts and insights, hopefully to help you think about the world a little bit better, a little more differently and make us all better investors. For Harry Jennings, our producer, everybody at Farm Miller in Washington and the Farcast and Hightower Advisors, we wish you a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye. That's a wrap for another episode of the Farcast as we wind down season six. Thanks for being with us. And thanks to our guest, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Stephanie Link. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. 
We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employers, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Farm Miller in Washington, Hightower Advisors, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy. Join us next week with our scheduled guest, Jim Labenthal, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, former president of the Richmond Federal Reserve, Dr. Jeffrey Lacker. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability or any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.